Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we finish up in chapter 11 of Revelation, where we began our in-depth look at the temple, its history, and future construction. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Now, there are clearly some challenges to all of this, and I understand that. We all do. One of the biggest challenges is how to rebuild the temple in light of the current political situation on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. In 1967, the Israeli government turned over control of the Temple Mount to the Muslims. We all know that. And, and to this day, they maintain control there. It's now the site of two of their most reverent religious facilities, right? The Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. And, and any infringement on what they consider to be their, their highly religious turf is met with stiff and even violent resistance when it happens. So in light of that situation, we have to ask the question, how in the world can such a temple ever be built on the Temple Mount? And, and how can Israel ever get rid of those, the mosques so that they can rebuild the temple in the exact location where it once stood? There are answers to that question. First of all, it's safe to assume that God can handle any political situation himself. I mean, look how rapidly he changes nations today. I mean, we're living in a time that ought to be making your head swim at just how fast systems of government are changing over and, and direction that countries are heading are just completely different directions. You know, I mean, I even look back into the 90s and saw some of that. You know, when I was a soldier, you know, talking, I was stationed in Germany when the wall was still existent. I haven't been there since the wall came down. I remember, you know, visiting Berlin and going through the corridor and passing into, you know, being checkpoint by the Russians and then the East Germans and then going through Checkpoint Charlie into East Berlin. And I remember having conversations with my officer, you know, comrades talking about, you know, boy, do you ever see a day when Germany could be reunified? No, it'd take a process. It'd be hard. And just like that, overnight, the wall comes down. There is Gorbachev, you know, there's Reagan, tear this wall down, you know, and it's like, wow, how quickly things change. So it's not impossible for God to change that situation himself. In fact, I believe that he's going to radically alter the political dynamics so that the building of this future temple on the Mount will be possible. And one way he might absolutely do it is through the war that's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that I often teach you guys about. This war, it's going to significantly change the political dynamics that presently exist in that region of the world. As according to Ezekiel, most of the nations who are going to be part of that coalition that will come against Israel, by and large, are the very Muslim states that are behind a lot of the radical things we see taking place in that part of the world. Iran, Libya, and a whole lot of the other Nations that are described in that are the very nations that are the backers of radical Islam movements and that are opposing Israel today. And we know from our study of those characters that God will be dealing harshly with those nations and, and rendering them powerless by the time that that war is over. And the weakening of those nations could very well open the door for Antichrist to emerge on the scene and to offer up a peace deal that will allow the temple to be rebuilt, be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. Now, I'm not saying that's an absolute way he's going to do it, but it certainly is a plausible way that we could see the dynamics in that part of the world change. But second, even if this is the case, will it be enough for the Israelis to be able to build it on the exact location 
of the mount? Will it be enough to enable them to remove the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock in order to rebuild the temple on its original location? I would suggest to you that these Muslim shrines will not have to be removed in order for the temple to be rebuilt. There's something quite interesting in these instructions that that John is now being given uh, for the measuring out of this new temple that I think holds the key to all of this. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He said, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise up and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. He's given these instructions about rise and to measure. And then he's talking in verse two there about these 42 months being given over the Gentile. What's he talking about? Tread over, you know, tread over. Well, tread literally means have control of something, right? To have control of the city. And what he's saying here, God not only says that the outer court has been given to the Gentiles, but he also says that they will tread or have control over the city for 42 months. Now, 42 months based on the 30-day calendar that was used in the time when John penned these verses is 1,260 days or three and a half years. And so John is being told that for three and a half years, the Gentiles will have full control over Jerusalem. But there's something significant in all of this. And that has to do with leaving out the court. John is told that as he measures out this new temple, that he's to leave out this section that has always been a part of the temple complex in the past. The court, which is outside the temple. The court is more commonly known by a very specific name. You may know it as under the title of the court of the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles. And that's where the area where non-Jews were permitted to gather in order to worship the God of Israel. It was an area located just outside or just inside the wall that surrounds the temple, but outside the temple proper. And this was the only area where Gentiles, where non-Jews could gather. And they weren't permitted to enter any of the other areas of the temple, which were reserved for the Jews and the priests alone. In fact, for a Gentile to enter any of these other areas, it was considered a capital offense. You might recall in Acts chapter 21, verses 28 and 29, there's an account of the Jews that they're stirring up against Paul, and basically they're making the accusation that Paul brought Gentiles into these other areas of the temple, and they're getting ready to kill him for it. They were furious with Paul because they thought he defiled the temple by bringing non-Jews into the area reserved for Jews alone. Non-Jews could only go so far as the court of the Gentiles. Now, here in this passage in Revelation, John, as he's told, is to measure out or in a sense lay out the blueprints for this next temple and he's specifically instructed by this angel as he does that to leave this court, the court of the Gentiles, out. In fact, he's told that this area will be given to the Gentiles for a time. Here's why this is extremely significant to our previous discussion about why it might not be necessary for these Muslim holy sites to be removed from the temple for the temple to be built from the mount. For a long time, the Jews had believed that for the temple to be rebuilt, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock had to be removed first. They held that view because they believed that these two Muslim facilities rested directly over the very place where the Holy of Holies of the temple once stood. 
but in recent years, archaeologists have been steadily uncovering clues that point to the fact that the original temple might not have stood where these Muslim facilities stand today. What they're finding is that the temple may have stood just a little bit north of these facilities. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Asher Kaufman. He's a physicist and an archaeologist at Hebrew uh, University in Jerusalem. After 16 years of intensive study, he published an article in March-April issue in 1983 issue of the Biblical Archaeological Review in which he revealed some remarkable findings. Dr. Kaufman concluded that while the Mosque of Omar, which is the Dome of the Rock, has been presumed to sit on the site where the Holy of Holies and the temple once stood, the true location is actually 100 meters north. Interesting. Now, if you go to the Temple Mount, you'll find that 100 meters north of the Dome of the Rock stands a little gazebo-like. You can look it up on the web. You'll see it. There's this little gazebo-like structure that was placed there by the Muslims, and it's known as the Dome of the Spirits or the Dome of the Tablets. It's, it's a 10-foot in diameter structure that covers an exposed section of the temple's original foundation. A foundation that Dr. Kaufman has concluded from his studies isn't just a part of the normal foundation of the temple, but that it's actually the foundation that stood beneath the Holy of Holies in the temple. And one of the reasons he believes this is because it's the only place on the temple mount where the, the floor is solid bedrock where the floor is solid bedrock, just like the threshing floor would have been that 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24 tells us that King David purchased as the site for the altar of the temple. That being the case, it means that the temple actually stood just a little further north on the temple mount than people ever believed it to be the case. And as such, it means that based on the standards of measurement given by God for the temple, the temple itself could be rebuilt right now could be built, rebuilt right now without disturbing these Muslim shrines other than this secondary little structure known as the Dome of the Spirits, which given the right circumstances would be far more negotiable than the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque would ever be. This means that given the right conditions, the temple could be rebuilt in its original location without disturbing these Muslim holy places. They could quite literally coexist on the Temple Mount because this gazebo, if it is the location that the original Holy of Holies stood, stands 330 feet north of the Dome of the Rock, just far enough to allow the rebuilding of the Jewish temple on its original site. But in order to do that, I mean, think this through, in order to do that, a part of the temple complex would need to be left out. A portion that would, Im that would impose on these Muslim structures if it was included in the next building of the temple. And what part is it that needs to be left out? The outer court or the court of the Gentiles. You see, based on Dr. Kaufman's estimates and others who followed in recent years, these two Muslim religious sites, sites, they stand right where the court of the Gentiles existed in the previous temples. The Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock are where the court of the Gentiles would have been. And if all this is true, as the evidence seems to suggest it is, then assuming a change in the political climate, the temple could be rebuilt and it could coexist side by side with these Muslim facilities that are now there. So long as this outer court, the court of the Gentiles, is left out of the building plans. It's left out. And that is exactly what this verse is commanding John to leave out in his estimates as he's laying the blueprints and measuring out for the rebuilding of the temple. This temple that God is directing John to lay the blueprints for is a temple that lacks this court because that area has already been given over to the Gentiles. 
It's already been get over. It's, it's where they so blatantly dominate right now on the Temple Mount in the form of these two Muslim shrines. This isn't something that just Christians are excited about and pushing in order to make it line up with our prophetic theories. But you can go to any web and your website and you'll find abundance of leadership. I mean, uh, literature being produced by Jewish organizations that are committed to the rebuilding of the temple. The Jews themselves are quickly concluding that the temple can be rebuilt and stand side by side with these Muslim facilities without compromising the exact standards and locations that God gave them for their temple. In fact, some of the Jewish scholars have even noted how all of this had lined up with what they believe based on the Mishnah, on their highly esteemed religious books, that uh, Jewish books of oral traditions. The Mishnah claims that when the priest stood in the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, he could look through the veil and the door of the temple and see the eastern gate of the wall that surrounded the city directly before him. And if you were to go to Israel today and you walk through the eastern gate, which at present is sealed, but if you walk through it, you would find yourself in direct alignment with the Dome of the Tablets. Not the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Not the Dome of the Rock, but with the Dome of the Tablets. The alignment is perfect. And this is incredible stuff because there is nothing. This means that there is nothing to keep this temple from being rebuilt right now except for the political climate that currently exists between the Muslims and the Jews. And I believe that climate could very well be dealt with through the war described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Remember, that war is a war where the attrition is so great, it's going to take them seven years to burn the equipment, bury bodies, marking them out. It's just going to be a horrendous affair when that thing takes place. The world is going to be hungering for peace. I just, my personal opinion, I think the world clamoring for peace in that moment is going to embrace a man who's going to come and offer them peace, offer them a covenant of peace for that region of the world. And voila, the scenario is now set for the doors to be opened on the rebuilding of the temple. Amen? You following what I'm saying? Did I lose anybody here? Are we okay? All right. If I lost you, come talk to me afterwards. All right? But I, I want to take you here, and then we're going to leave off today. But, but leave out, he says in verse 2, leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Here God not only says that the outer court has been given to the Gentiles, but that they're going to tread it, or they're going to have control over the city itself for 42 months. 42 months, as I said a few minutes ago, is based on the 30-day calendar that was being used at the time that John penned these verses, which would have been 1,260 days. And 1,260 days adds up under that calendar to, anybody know? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And so what John is being told is that for three and a half years, the Gentiles will have full and total control over Jerusalem have full and total control of Jerusalem. Now, what's that period of time all about? What's it referring to? Well, we've already established, based on Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 26 and 27, when we studied that before, that when Antichrist comes to power, he's going to establish a seven-year covenant of peace with Israel. And it tells us in that passage that in the middle of that week, in the middle of that seven-year period of time, he's going to break that covenant. He's going to break that covenant with them. And from that passage, we can glean that for the first three and a half years of that seven-year time period, Antichrist is going to be a supporter of the Jews. He's going to be their hero. He's going to be their Messiah in a lot of ways. They're going to be looking at him in that regard. 
He may not yet claim that for himself, but they're going to be looking at him that way because of what he's doing for him. And he's going to bring peace and he's going to bring security to that region, to their country and to that region of the world. And as I've already stated, I personally believe that he will set the climate that will enable them in that period of time to begin that rebuilding of their temple. So it's safe to say during the first three and a half years of this seven year period of time, Jerusalem and the nation of Israel will be in control of things in their own land, living in peace and prosperity as a nation, but this passage in Daniel is also telling us that three and a half years into that covenant of peace, that Antichrist is going to break it with them, and he's going to attempt to, to, to completely subdue, uh, subdue them. And, and, and during this period of time, he and his Gentile cohorts, they're going to completely dominate. They're going to be in complete control of the land of Israel and specifically be in control of the city of Jerusalem. In other words, Antichrist and his people who won't be Jews will literally tread the holy city underfoot for the last three and a half years of that seven-year covenant that he will then break, you see or 1,260 days, or 42 months. It all is the same thing. And so here, when we're looking at this verse in Revelation 11, this is nothing more than a reference to this event that's going to take place during this period of time, a time when the city of Jerusalem will quite quite literally be tread underfoot by the Gentiles. And and, and the wording that he's using here makes sense because A.T. Robertson tells us in his dictionary that underfoot means more than just be an authority over, but it means to be in control over. And literally it means to trample with contempt. To trample with contempt. And that is exactly what Antichrist and his followers will be doing during that period. They will be trampling the Jews and their homeland with contempt. And that verse most certainly correlates to the period of time that Daniel foresaw in this prophecy, and it also correlates to the period of time in the event that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 28, where he tells them, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet in the holy place, and he goes on, he gives the list. If you're up on the housetop, don't go down to take anything out of the house. Man, run, get out. If you're out in the field, go. Don't go back for your clothes. Keep on going. Oh, by the way, if you don't think that was being written to the Jews in that portion, do you guys sit on your rooftops? I don't. I'm afraid of heights. Jews aren't. They sit up there all the time. You know why? Because it's hot. And what happens is that's the breeziest place. They still do that to this day. They sit on the rooftops. It's a lounging area that they set up in most places. And so Jesus is speaking to me. He says, hey, when this happens, there's going to be great tribulation at this point. There's going to be a time of sorrows. And he goes through this. And then essentially he's talking about the same thing that we're talking about right here in Revelation 11. It's the period of contempt that we're going to shortly be studying when we get to Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 through 17, where it tells us this. Revelation 12, 13 says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time. By the way, that's three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth and the dragon was enraged with the woman when he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ and we'll exposit all that when we get to it but essentially that's talking about the moment when antichrist is just raging against the Jews 
when he's raging against them. God will supernaturally protect them, but he's not going to protect them in Jerusalem. He's going to take them away. He's going to take that believing remnant away to a secure place, which I believe is Petra, and I'll explain that when we come to it. But he's going to take them to this secure place where they'll be protected from Antichrist. But who's going to be in control of Jerusalem and the land of Israel as a whole? It'll be Antichrist and his cohorts during that period of time. And they will be doing it with vindictiveness, just with contempt, just as the definition is. There's no doubt that this part of our verse here in Revelation 11 is referring to the time when Antichrist will be subduing the land under his own control. And during that time, the Gentiles will not only control part of the temple as they do today, but they'll be trampling with contempt the city and the land under their feet. But there's something else that'll be happening during that time as well. You see, when Satan's at work, know this, God is at work too. You know, can I just, I'm going to leave you with this today because I'm going to tell you the next thing that happens, you need to come back for it. We'll cover it next week, all right? I teased you last week, tell you, I tell you who the two witnesses are. Well, you have to come back next week and I'll tell you who they are, maybe. But leave, let me leave you with this today because I think sometimes we can get so wrapped up in all the dark things we see happening in our world and, and we begin to feel like those dark things are just dominating, they're controlling and everything's there. Do not underestimate God being at work when Satan is at work. You know, sometimes you may not see what God is doing. You may not fully understand what he's doing, but do never make the mistake of thinking that God is not at work. He is at work, and he's even more so at work when Satan is at work. He's even more so at work. And if you don't believe that, just go visit California sometime, and you see it very clearly, right? Because you see Satan at work, and you see God at work, and it is a distinct contrast, you know? It's a wonderful contrast. I've said that before. It's a wonderful contrast because it's so clear. Sometimes in areas like we live, the religiosity kind of muddies the waters of things, you see? And you can't tell which is which. But out there, it's a clear dividing line. But, but God is at work here in our area, and he's doing the same thing. He's at work in your hearts. He's raising you up for this time and this generation and this calling and this season of history that he's placed you to live in. Make no mistake, when you know that, that sense of his moving in your spirit, that sense of moving that he's doing in you on spiritual things, man, he's doing that because he's countering things that are taking place out there. And by the way, I also want to say he's not reacting to the things that are happening out there. The enemy's reacting to stuff. God is not. God's got a plan and he's just... Checking it off one by one by one. But you, need, you guys, and we all need to have the eyes to see that. We need to know that. Or we're going to get wrapped up in the darkness and we're going to miss it. I told Phil today, I said, great worship. I just love worshiping. Some of those songs we were singing this morning, I said, there was such light and joy in those. Now I get to come up and talk about darkness, right? But you know what? I hope I haven't. I hope in this you see, you know? Yeah, this is what Satan will be doing. But just wait. Just wait. Because God's raising up two witnesses. He's raised you up in the midst of this darkness to be witnesses for him. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.